Well, God, we just honor you. We give you glory in this place, oh Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, even now as we open up your word, we thank you that this is part of our worship. We're directing our thoughts and, and, and our actions and our, and our heart your way. We're looking to your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that as we open the word, you take hold with us. You bring revelation, wisdom, and insight to us this day. That you show us what your thoughts and your intentions are for us. And that we would let go of our thoughts and our desires and take up yours in the direction you would have us to go. Because we know that when we seek you, we find you. When we put our trust in you and lean not on our own understanding and in all our ways we acknowledge you, you direct our path. And so we expect your leading this morning. We expect your guidance in things, your thoughts and your wisdom, that even as we're going one direction in the message, you, you tell us what we need to know on the inside. You give us your wisdom because we go ahead and we declare you are our God. And we thank you for it. Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Whew. Well, you know, oftentimes when I, when I preach, I have a very clear, clear direction, and I'm, you know, like, I very much, I, I call it the chain. Like, I say, Holy Spirit, which, which link in the chain are we going? And we just follow it through. And this week as I was preparing, it was like, it seemed like, oh, I could go this way. We could go this way. We could go this way. And I, I looked at my message on Friday, and I was like, God, it seems like we're a little bit, uh, what we call like a shotgun message, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's a scatter message. But I believe the Holy Spirit has things He wants to get across to us. He knows what's in your heart, right? He, he knows your thoughts. He, he knows what's going on, and He knows what you need. And it's our job as ministers to, to uh, listen to the Holy Spirit and give you what He thinks you need rather than what we think we need, right? And so last week we were talking about worship. And we spent pretty much the entire time, the whole focus of the service, we limited everything else, and we just taught on worship because it is so important. And I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to say to the body of Christ, I don't believe it's just our church, I believe it's churches around the world, that He's wanting to bring a revival of praise and worship. We don't come to church to be entertained. We come to give of our supply and participate together. You know, I was thinking about it after the service last week. Uh, uh, a few years ago, I was at this leadership roundtable, and the, the man who was running it, he was one of the board members of John Maxwell uh, Leadership Program. And uh, as he was sharing things, he told us that, you know, a few years ago, he was out with John, and uh, this man is a pastor at a very large church in Texas. And uh, he was out with John, and John said, you know what, uh, I've heard that Fred Smith, the, the founder of FedEx, is not doing well right now. He was sick at the time, and I want to stop by, and I want to have a talk with him. And, and this man said, well, I, I don't know Fred, but sure, let's, let's pull aside, and you can go talk to him. And he's like, no, no, I want you to come in with me. And so they went in. He, he met Fred, and, and uh, then John and Fred went off into another room to have a conversation. And when he came back, they, he's like, well, it was very nice to meet you, Fred. And as he went to go, the, Fred said, hey, you, preacher. And he's like, oh, okay. He's got something he wants to say to me, apparently. He's like, do you know what's wrong with the church? And he thought all these thoughts were going through, like, oh my, what is this old man? Like, what, what is, what's his problem? Uh, what, what's he got to complain about? And he said, church people think they are the consumer, but they're not. They're the distributor. Come on. 
We are not the consumer. We don't come to church to consume. We come to distribute our supply. Because the Bible says that of Jesus, flowing from Jesus from whom the whole body has been joined together and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Each of us has a part and a purpose in this grand scheme of things that is the worldwide church, that is the body of Jesus. Each one of us has a part and something that it supplies. And even within our body, we, we look and there's, there's things that we count really important. Like, you know, your heart. Your heart stops, you die. And I think in, in the body of Christ, we look at people like, oh, they're like the heart, they're needed, I'm unnecessary. You know what? I think the skin is pretty necessary. If you didn't have skin on your body, you'd be leaking all over the floor, right? That's an important part, and we don't often give it the credit that it's due. You know, you, you may feel like sometimes you're the big old toe. It's not very pretty. It's a little bit bulbous and round on some of us. You know, some of it sticks out the wrong way. You know, maybe you feel like you're the big toe. You know what? You, you would really appreciate having that if you spent a day without it, giving you your balance. And what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that sometimes we look at some parts of the body and we see them as unnecessary or undesirable, but each part has a part to play and a supply to give. And when we come to church, we don't come just to give me, give me, give me, God. The world can have the give me mentality all they want. I come to give of my supply. And I love Acts chapter 16. It says that they had all gathered together. There was prophets and there was evangelists and they were all together. And it said, as they ministered to the Lord. What a concept. And most of us come to church in the body of Christ these days to be ministered to. God, my week's been pretty bad. If you could just pick me up off the floor and give me enough strength to get through another week. No! I don't care how bad my week has been. I come to minister to the Lord. And as they ministered to the Lord, then the Holy Spirit said. Then the instruction came. Then came the separation where he said, give me Paul and Barnabas and I'm going to separate them for the work that I've called for them to do. The empowerment and the equipping came after they put their thoughts and their attention and ministered unto the Lord. And so when we're talking about worship, we come to church to worship God. And we said that the music is not the worship. Worship at its core is us submitting our hearts unto God first. And when we come to church, it's not about us. We come for God first, above all else. And so it's really easy to check our own hearts when we're getting there. What is demanding our attention and our thoughts? If when we walk into this building and sit in our seats and we're thinking about how good or how bad or whatever's going on in our lives, that means we've become selfish in that service. Oh, come on. Don't give me that look. We're all able to do that. Man, sometimes I get here and I'm like, I don't want to be here. You know, I'm sitting up there prepping my message and I, I don't feel nothing, God. I'm not inspired to preach this today at all. Come on, I can be honest with you. 
I don't always feel like preaching to you. I don't feel like showing up on a sunny day sometimes. But what we do is we bring the sacrifice of praise, as the book of Hebrews said. No, God, not my will, but your will be done. Isn't that what Jesus said in the garden? When he was feeling like, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do the work that you've sent me here to do, God. But I conform my will to yours. And so often for the body of Christ, his worship is basically like the previews of a movie. Oh, the movie starts at 7, but I know that there's going to be three previews, so we'll probably do it if we show up at 7.15. No, we don't come to sing the song. We come to direct our hearts in the same direction. And so the songs that we sing are meant to bring our thoughts into unity and give us focus and direction in a common direction. Rather than one thought going this way and one mind going this way and one mouth singing this way and one talk, the music we sing is just the container that brings focus to what the Holy Spirit's wanting to say that day. You, know, you have no idea the impact of what worship can have. You know, I don't tell Toph what he needs to sing on Sundays. I don't say we're going to sing this song. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's been one time, one time or another where I said, I want this song. But for the most part, I don't even look at the list or whatever's going on that day. And he is good to listen to the Holy Spirit about what he wants focused on. And what he picks up in the Spirit oftentimes is the same thing, the direction of the messages. Why? Because it brings us together in one focus. The Holy Spirit wants us to conform our thoughts and our words and direct them together as one. And so we spent a lot of time last week in Acts chapter 4, which on the surface is not a worship passage. But what's going on in Acts chapter 4, as we revisit it again today, is Peter and John, they went up on the, uh, on the Lord's Day to pray. And as they were passing by the gate, which is called Beautiful, there was a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, uh, sitting at the gate, begging for alms. He was a, a, a legal beggar which they would wear a spe special robe that would be given to them from the temple, saying, okay, we give you permission to sit at this gate and ask people for money, and whatever they give you, good. It was kind of like their way of social assistance. So this man had been doing this all of his life. And that day, as Peter and John had gone up at the time of prayer to pray at the temple, they passed by the man, and the man said, hey, can I, can I have some alms? Can can you give me some money so that I can eat and I can, you know, survive another day? And as they pass by, it says, Peter locking eyes on him, and the man asks for alms, and he says, I'm not going to give you the money you're looking for. And that man could have got ticked off right there, right? Like, well, then why are you wasting my time? Get out of the way and let another person pass by who might help me. But he said, no, silver and gold I don't have to give you. And it's not that Peter didn't have money to give. He knew that that wasn't what the man needed. And he says, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I do have, I give unto you. And he grabbed him by the arm and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as he grabbed him and pulled him, the scripture says, immediately the bones in, the, in his ankles received strength. And the man jumped up and he went walking and leaping and praising God. Come on, when God does something good in your life, you better give him the glory. He went walking and leaping and praising God. He didn't go walking and leaping and praising Peter and John. He went, went straight to God where the glory is due. 
He didn't get up and go, oh, I'm so happy to be standing here today. Come on, we need to give God more glory for the good things that happen in our lives. I said a few weeks ago, you know, so much of us, if it's, if it's good, it's luck. If it's bad, it's God. No, every good gift comes from the Father above who has no shadow of turning. And so the man got up and walking and leaping and praising God, and evidently he wasn't quiet about it. Because it started to draw a commotion, and people started gathering around to see what had happened. Why is this guy walking and leaping and praising God? And eventually, the, the, the priests who were there to minister that day, they began to say, why is everybody watching him instead of us? And so they bring him, and he's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, I, I used to not be able to walk, and now I can. And then they're like, how? They weren't happy for him. They were mad. And so they dragged Peter and John. This is a long way to get where we're going. But they dragged Peter and John before them, and they begin to threaten them. And they say to them, don't you preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And then it says when they threaten them further, they let them go. Don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Why? Because <laughs> the enemy doesn't want you using the name of Jesus he doesn't want you walking in what Jesus has provided for you. The enemy knows that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He knows that every sickness will bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, in my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. In my name, you'll cast out demons. So what does he want you not to do? He doesn't want you using the name of Jesus ever. Come on. You should wake up in the morning with Jesus on your lips. Jesus, I magnify you. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for me. I like what they said about Smith Wigglesworth, that he would jump out of the bed in the morning, slip on his slippers, and he would dance. Why? He was setting his own tone for the day. Whew, and I, I, don't, I don't confess to be that spiritual. Most of the time it's like, where's that alarm? Hit snooze again. <laughs> But you get to choose the tone of your day by whether you'll praise or whether you'll crumble. Whew. So, they threaten Peter and John and they say, don't preach in this name anymore. And being let go, they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God in one accord and said, Lord, you are God. Which I like that. I think it's a good place to start. The high priest is not God. You are God. He told me not to do that, but you said in your name. Whew, that's a good, good place to start. You're God. Because that also makes a declaration that he's your God and you are not. Lord, you are God, and you made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in. And they go and they just worship God. They remind themselves of some history. And then they say, God, we, we ask right now for boldness, that we would stretch forth our hands and that the people would be healed. 
And here we see in verse 31, it says, And when they had expressed that desire, which is what the word prayed means there, they had expressed that desire, they had expressed their heart to God, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so we spent a lot of time last week where I want to bring the focus back to again. When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. With one accord. And we told you that it is a very special word that only 13 of the 14 times we see it is in the book of Acts and once in the book of Romans. It's a special word that is used as we look at the history of the church. You know, often when we look at the book of Acts, they call it the the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Church. Philip was an Apostle, but we see the miracles he did. Stephen was an uh, an Apostle, but yet we hear his story. uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they weren't Apostles, but we hear their story. We hear about Apollos. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Church that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And something that we see the early church over and over again, they come into what the Bible describes as is one accord. And we told you that it's that special word, which is a compound of two different words, which means to rush along with passion and purpose in unison together. With passion and purpose together. So stand up. Come here. Tof and I are going to rush along together. We're going to run right down this main center aisle. You ready? We're going to rush along together. Let's go. (laughs) Don't you dare take me. I'm not going to go. I'm not willing. I'm not willing. No. Okay, thanks. That's not rushing along together with passion and purpose and unity. That's one of us standing still and the other one trying to go. You know, uh, Pastor Wendy used to joke, and I think it's not something she should, she should keep confessing, but that she runs and Pastor Robin drags and they end up where they're supposed to be. No, we should, we should move together. But in any time when you get a group of people together, we have that very thing happen. Some of us go and some of us watch, and that's not a church. It says they rushed along with passion and purpose together in unison. And the notation that goes along with that word is the image is almost musical, which is why we used it when we were talking about worship. The image of rushing along together with passion and purpose together in unity, it almost has a musical idea. Think of it, you go to, you go to the, the Chris Stapleton concert, because I know Toph likes Chris Stapleton. Everybody's singing at the top of their lungs right along, Tennessee whiskey or whatever. I don't, I don't know all of Chris Stapleton's songs. But people get together and they sing and they sing out loud and you're kind of like, would you shut up a little? I want to hear him and not you. But if we can do that at a concert and we can do that at a sports complex, how come we can't do that at church? It's because of our will, not his. We conform to his will and put ours aside. And if the Bible said, let us sing joyfully, let us sing joyfully. You mean I get to choose whether I sing? Yes. And you get to choose whether you're joyful about it? Yes. If we knew that we could choose our emotions, we would do a little more selectivity of which ones we yield to. 
sing joyfully, to shout unto the Lord, to lift up holy hands unto God, the fruit of our lips giving praise to His name. And so the sound, the, 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 the word homothomidin is the, almost musical in the sense that so, a number of notes are sounded, which, while different, they harmonize and they pitch in tone. And the idea that behind the, the, the image we see is like an orchestra. You got the oboe going, you got the, the tuba giving you the bass line, boom, 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 boom. And then you got the clarinets. They don't sound the same. And if you listen to them individually, you'd almost be like, yeah, we don't need you. But when you put them together as members individually of the body and each part supplying, they bring everything together as a sweet sound unto the Lord. That we are the instruments of Almighty God. We may play instruments while we worship, but the instruments are not the instruments of worship to God. You are. Hallelujah. This is just supposed to be a refresh of last week, but we're spending a lot of time on it. And so the image is almost musical, where there's different parts doing different things, all bringing into one purpose, one mind, rushing along together with passion and purpose in unity. But the second part of that notation we didn't talk about last week, and that's where I want to pick up today. It says, as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of the concert master, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of the members of Christ's church. As we give of our worship to him, the Holy Spirit blends us together in an offering that is acceptable and pleasing pleasing and soothing unto God. The Holy Spirit takes hold with us as we worship. And so if we don't worship, he's got nothing to take hold with. Because he's not the worshiper, he's the one that takes hold together with us. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit. In, uh, in Romans chapter 8, and verse 26, it says, The Holy Spirit comes together and girds us up in our weaknesses or our shortcomings. And He works together where you feel ill-equipped or unable. He comes and brings the equipping, and we do it together. And so as we begin to worship God, as we begin to declare His greatness, as we begin to give thanks unto Him, the Holy Spirit begins to work and move among us. And as I said, there, there can be, be times when we come together and some of us are wanting to go and some of us don't want to go. And I was sharing with John a few weeks ago that when you're ministering under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you can feel when a, an audience is drawing. You can also feel when an audience is rejecting and pushing back. And so sometimes we say things and we go, oh, I don't know about that. And sometimes we have to have our minds renewed, which is why we teach, right? So that when we hit those points, rather than saying, huh, I don't know, we go, yes, the Word of God says. Which is why we teach on worship. If we don't know, we can't do, right? But when we're ministering under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you can draw. You can pull. And he'll have me go in directions that were not planned. We'll go down rabbit trails just to meet one person who reached out in faith and said, God, here, here's what I, I'm pulling. I'll take all that you have for me. 
And even as you begin to worship, it's like when people who are drawing, the Holy Spirit will bring you right into them, and you'll begin to preach to them. You know, I remember when we were young, Pastor Robin and Wendy used to drag us all over the places just to get in into meetings wherever, because there was nothing good going on in the area, and it, it was like, well, if we've got to drive to Toronto, we will. If we've got to drive down to the States, we will. And when we would get there, it didn't matter where we sat, they would find us and bring us up to the front. And it would always happen that the minister would just come and stand there and just start preaching to Pastor Robin. Why? Because there was a draw and a desire as he put a demand on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want more from you. I want to know. I want to flow. I want to go. And if you put a demand on the Holy Spirit, he will meet that demand. He will move heaven and earth to get to you as we submit ourselves unto him and the Holy Spirit takes hold. And so why are we talking about how the Holy Spirit takes hold? Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. And you may say, well, what's Pentecost Sunday? It's the day where we mark and we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, we, we celebrated Easter, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But then most people forget about the story after that, where Jesus dwelt among them and taught with them and taught them for 40 days. And he said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit who I'm going to send unto you. And so Pentecost Sunday, I don't usually make a big deal of it. You want to know why? Every day should be Pentecost for you. Because it wasn't a one-time event. He said he's going to come and stay. And so I said that when hope yields to the Holy Spirit, he, he gets things and the direction that the Holy Spirit wants to focus on. Well, here's where we're focusing on today. Jesus said in John 14, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Not for one day, not for moment by moment, but forever. And so forever you are glorified and forever he is lifted. Forever he is risen. He is alive. He is alive. Why was the Holy Spirit putting the focus on forever? Because the Holy Spirit came. He ain't going away. And as he was with Jesus, he'll be with you. As he was with the early apostles, he'll be with you. As he was with the early church, he'll be with you. Because he came to stay forever. Whew. Jesus said, I'm going to pray or I'm going to talk to the Father. And he will give you another helper. That word another means just like me. Some people are like, oh, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here? You've got another helper just like him who came. Woo! And when you receive him, he'll stay. And it says it's the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. There is some important truth right there in what we just read in verse 17 of John 14. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot. Everyone say cannot. It's not for the world. It's for the believer. They can't receive it because they don't see him, nor do they know him. Why is that important? With most of our worship and most of what we do in churches these days, we draw upon our experience from the world 
to give us a frame of reference of what we should do. You can't do that with the Holy Spirit. We can't draw from our experience in the world to understand and experience the Holy Spirit. There's only one place that comes from. That's the Word of God and what He said about the Holy Spirit. And so if you're looking for a frame of reference about the Holy Spirit from what you've known and what you've experienced out of the world, you will not find it because the world cannot receive because it doesn't see Him nor know Him, but you know Him. That's a great statement that Jesus made to His disciples. Before He came and made His home in Him, Jesus said, you know Him. That will be a great statement to take up. Holy Spirit, I'm so glad I know you. Most people say, well, I just don't know how he speaks to me. I just don't know how he moves. Stop saying it. Because you're getting your confession. You're sowing those seeds of opposition to knowledge of the Holy Spirit. You align yourself and you go, I know him. When I, when I grew up in prayer school, when I was at Ramah, when I spent three years there, I'm pretty sure there wasn't a day that went by where Miss Leanne Merrill didn't get up there and say, you know him. You know his voice. You know his leading. You know when he guides you. You recognize his presence. You know him. Stop saying you don't. And she told this story about a friend of hers who was ministering a missionary down in South America in the country that she was ministering in. Uh, the government was about to fail. And uh, there was a revolution going on within the country. And someone called her up and said, you need to take your money out of the bank today because the bank won't exist tomorrow. And so she went down to the bank and she withdrew all her money. And as she was coming out in front of the bank, she noticed there were some men waiting on motorcycles across the street, watching people who were withdrawing their money. And she's like, oh, this is not good. And so she got on her little moped scooter thing that she had, and she was going down, and uh, sure enough, they started following her. And she started to get afraid, and she's like, what am I going to do, God? And all of a sudden, up out of the inside of her, she heard Miss Leanne's voice, you know him! And she's like, that's right, I know exactly what to do in this situation. And as soon as she began to acknowledge that, and that understanding that I do know the voice of the Holy Spirit, he said, turn left. And so she turned left and went down that street. And he said, turn right. And just she kept following the instructions of the Holy Spirit who she knew. And sure enough, she began to look back and the people who were following her were no longer there. And she was able to get out of the country before the revolution took effect. But you know him. And it says, for he dwells with you. What was Jesus saying when he said he dwells with you? The Holy Spirit had been in Jesus with them the whole three and a half years that he had been ministering. You know that that was the power that Jesus was drawing from? It says that he emptied himself of his Godhood, and he likened himself in the form and the fashion of a man. Jesus came just like you. Natural man, but he received the infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day that he was baptized by John the Baptist. said that as he came up out of the water, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down and moved inside. And you know the immediate thing that began to happen to Jesus after that? Miracles started happening. We don't have a single recorded miracle before the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because you need him. 
just as much as Jesus needed him. And so he tells them, he's like, guys, you've been dwelling with the Holy Spirit this whole time, whether you've recognized it or not. What I did, I did through him and the power that he brings. And guess what? He will be in you. Jesus called him the helper. You know, I was thinking of there was a Beatles song, Help, I need somebody. And there's a lot of days where you need a help. <laughs> and you can receive the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things. And he'll bring to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. That's such an awesome promise that whatever it is you know or don't know, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit knows better. And he will teach you all things. We're talking, Jesus is saying this to 12 guys who spent three and a half years sitting and listening to him teach, being there and experiencing all the miracles, getting all the backroom experience with him that the rest of the public didn't. And Jesus said, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you. And so it doesn't matter what your experience has been, the Holy Spirit still has things to teach you. It says that he'll leave peace. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. And he gives not as the world gives. And so he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus thought it was a good thing for them to have the Holy Spirit. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. You got a time for a little bit more? In Acts chapter 1, it starts off this way, and this is Luke talking. He says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And what's Luke talking about? I already wrote you my gospel. He, we have the book of Luke, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is Luke. He's saying the, the first book I wrote to you, Theophilus, was all about everything that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Which is the implication is that the book of Acts is what continued to happen because of what Jesus did and taught. Oh, come on. I think we just went... If Luke was about what Jesus began, Acts is about how it continues. And it didn't just continue in the apostles. It continued on to those who had never met Jesus. And it said that the promise of the Spirit is for all who will believe, even those who are afar off. Talking about even you. If you'll receive the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just for them. It wasn't just for that generation. As many as would believe him, it's for them as well. And so if Luke was about what Jesus started, Acts is about what continues. And what we see in the book of Acts, the miracles that flooded through there, the, the starting of the church across the known world was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it said that he began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and of speaking of things pertaining 
to the kingdom of God. This season of 2023, we've been talking about the laws of the kingdom. Not the do-good, get-goods of the kingdom. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. No, we're talking about the, the, the laws that govern how the kingdom operates. The laws of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. We have the perfect law of liberty. We have the royal law of love. We have the law of faith. We have the law of sowing and reaping or seed time and harvest. Jesus took 40 days and taught them about the kingdom of God. And in verse 4 it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, You've heard from me. So after 40 days of teaching them about the kingdom of God, he still thought, Hey, you know what? Wait for the promise. What was the promise? The Holy Spirit. Wait. Wait. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And when I read that, I just laugh. He just spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God, and their concern is still, is this the time when you're going to give the kingdom back to Israel? Whew, come on. Cause I laugh at that because Christians are still doing this today. Lord, is this the time you're going to give us a better government and a better president and a better prime minister when you should be consumed with what the kingdom of God is and what has been made available to you? Don't get distracted. And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So he says, wait, don't even leave Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit because when you receive the Holy Spirit, with him comes power. And that word power is the word dunamis, which means strength and power and ability. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. You've got the nature of God on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will make his home in you. And he is fully God with Jesus, just like Jesus was with God. And when the Holy Spirit gets on the inside of you, he brings God with him in all his stuff. And it says strength and power and ability come to you when you receive the Holy Spirit. And so chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with what? They were all with one accord. They were of the same rushing along together with passion and purpose and unity together. They were moving in one direction with one focus. They came for the Holy Spirit. They were not going to leave until they got what Jesus had promised them. They were not going to go out empty-handed. They wanted the power that had been given unto them. And I wish more Christians in today would say, God, I'm not going to move an inch until your power rests upon me and I'm going to go forth in your strength and your ability and what you've promised unto me. I don't care what the world can give me. I want all you have for me. You said power would come. I received the Holy Spirit. 
And as they were with one accord and in one place, there suddenly came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind. So in chapter 4, when they were in one accord and they prayed, the place where they were was shaken. In chapter 2, when they were in one accord and the Holy Spirit came, it says there was a rushing mighty wind. When we begin to put our minds together and focus in the same direction, that is God, things change, not just spiritually, but in this natural realm as well. Man, I look forward to some buildings getting shaken in these last days. I look for a mighty wind passing through the body of Christ and through the churches as we focus back in on what is truly important because really nothing of this world matters. It's all about God or it's nothing. And so the place that they were in was as a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Why? Because it's for all of them, and it's for all of us. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Woo! They were all filled because they were all flowing. They were all filled because they were all focused on Him. And that's what happens in churches when we get on the same page together. We all get filled, we all begin to flow, and we all begin to experience His miracles, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His never-ending peace, exactly whatever it is that we need in that day. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Here's just a side note as we begin to come in for a landing. Every time we see an infilling of the Holy Spirit, every one of the stories through the book of Acts, you know what we also see? We see something happen. They were all filled and they began to speak in Acts chapter 4. They were all filled and began to speak with other tongues in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul came into Ephesus and he found believers and he said, what was the first question he asked? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They were already believers. There's an important distinction I'm about to make here. A lot of the body of Christ says, well, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came and made his home. No, there was the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit that made you a vessel and gave you a new nature that God could reside in. But that's not it. Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So the implication is that he didn't automatically come when they believed. And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So what did he do? He laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. That's Acts chapter 19. We look at Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to Samaria, and he began to preach Jesus. And he began to do miracles among them, and it says they believed. And then it says... You can go look this up. This is Acts chapter 8. Then it says, When Jerusalem heard that Samaria had believed, they sent Peter and John down so that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened as they laid hands on them? Obviously something physical happened because Simon the sorcerer was like, Wow, I want to be able to do this. Here, take my money so that I can have this gift. We look at Acts chapter 10, the household of Cornelius, 
Peter, by being led by the Holy Spirit, he comes down to minister to them, even though that's not a place that a Jew goes. And he comes into the house of someone who's a Gentile, and he begins to teach Jesus. And you know what happened as they believed? They also received the filling of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and magnify God. Every time someone gets filled with the Holy Spirit, we see that happen. Don't let religion say, that stopped, that no longer happens today. Why? They, the enemy does not want you speaking in other tongues. Why? Because it builds you up and strengthens you. It brings rest and refreshing. It, gets you, it increases your faith. It builds you up and strengthens you in faith because it takes faith to pray. If you've been taught from religion that that stuff doesn't happen anymore, you need to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because a lot of the church says, well, that went away with the first apostles. Well, you know, in Acts chapter 14, Paul comes to them. Let me see if I can find the verse here for it. I had it. He says, How is it, brethren, that whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, each of you has a teaching, each of you has a tongue, each of you has a revelation and has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And so it wasn't a surprise to Paul that each one of them was able to do it. But why is it such a surprise in the body of Christ that so few actually pray in tongues anymore? Come on. It shouldn't be. And there needs to be a revival of worship. There needs to be a revival of focus on the Holy Spirit because it's through Him the power flows. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we can make the distinction, well, Paul said, uh, you know, only when, you, when we come together as, with unbelievers, that let it only be done by two or three at most, and let there be an interpretation. Yes, we're not to come together and have all of us just speak in tongues the entire time. No one gets edified. But there are times when we can come together in prayer, and that's where our focus is, because he who speaks in an unknown tongue doesn't speak unto men, but unto God. And so there's times where it's place, and Acts 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is exactly true. There's a time for it and a time not for it, but it's for each one because every filling of the Holy Spirit, it follows. And so in the day that we're in today, don't leave home without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> don't leave home without His infilling, without His power, and without the gift of being able to speak in tongues. Because when you don't know how to pray as you ought, it says the Holy Spirit takes hold with us and prays through us, through our weaknesses and our, and our shortcomings, with groanings and utterances which cannot be understood. And when you look in your background from the world, you say, well, I just don't, I don't understand that. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It has no frame of reference for Him because He's not from the world. So why don't we go ahead and stand on our feet today. Father, we honor. We honor this day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, this Pentecost Sunday, that you said you would send the Holy Spirit and that he would abide with us forever. And so right now, we just bring ourselves into remembrance of the promise, of the coming, and of the enduring power that is here today, and that there's a freedom that we can receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with his power filled to the overflow and begin to speak up out of the depths of our hearts, speaking out in other tongues. 
We just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever because that's how God is, and you're fully God with him. We thank you that we don't have to leave home powerless. And Holy Spirit, when we receive you, you go with us wherever we go. And just as Peter said in Acts chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. I thank you, Lord, in the same way you anoint us with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Yes, we magnify your name, oh God. Yeah. Oh, we honor you in this place. Yes, we honor you in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. You're so good, Lord. So, so good. So, so good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, this morning, if you haven't received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I would love to pray with you, or our Word Care team would also love to pray with you if you want. You don't have to leave home because it's without it. The promise of the Father still endures today. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You don't need to wait another moment. And I think if Jesus thought it was so important that his disciples not leave Jerusalem without it, it's still just as important for us today. So I would love to pray with you and believe with you today. And our Word Care team is also up here for anything else that you might need prayer for or want to testify about. They would love to agree with you. If you'd like to give today, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give. Or there's uh, envelopes in the seats or a basket at the back, whatever you choose to do. We just say thank you. But if it was important enough for Jesus to bring such a focus of the Holy Spirit, it's important for us today. So Father, we go forth in your power. We go forth with your peace, and we just say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have some coffee and some good conversations.